Good morning. My name is Rick Hollinger, and today's scripture reading comes from lots of different locations. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed how often most movies have at least two themes? I mean, you could see a lot of themes, I know, but it seems like every movie or most of them have romance in them somewhere and the notion of justice in them somewhere. Um, I love old Western movies. And one of the things I love about the old Western movies is there always was a sheriff in town, right? Sheriff kept the law. He was the peace officer. Nothing went wrong when the sheriff was around, and sometimes the sheriff got beat up. But when he got beat up, he was getting beat up for the cause of justice, right? I, I love those old movies. Um, what, what's some of your favorite movies about law and justice? Go ahead. This is a classroom now. Shout it out. Favorite movies about law and justice? Come on. Die Hard. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and Vengeance. Yeah. Uh, Braveheart. Okay. He's trying to be more righteous. Yeah. It's like, you know. Braveheart. Yeah. Th th those movies are great. They're all about the just thing, you know, coming to the top and, and the person who's the good guy winning and all those kind of things. And we all love those things, and why? Well, because we have this intuitive gene. It's a justice gene. We want things to be right. It's deep in our psyche. It's called our humanity. And I think it's a reflection of a natural order that you might call image of God. The proverb that was read at the very beginning was this, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. The proverbs have lots to say about justice as they do about other things, but there are at least three things that the proverbs mention about justice that I think um, is important or are important. I've got three main points. One, the notion of civil justice in the Proverbs and throughout the Bible. One way to understand civil justice is to see the opposite. So the Proverbs contrast civil justice, the way things ought to be, with another way, the way things ought not to be. And the way things ought not to be 
is people should not be living in fear because they're oppressed. The people who should be in fear are the evildoers, not those who are doing the right thing. So justice is to construct a civil order that allows people who are doing the right things to live in peace and puts in the crosshairs the evildoers and they fear justice. A second part of this civil justice and its contrast, civil justice is contrasted to justice that is implemented through bribery and favoritism. You may remember my references a couple of times to the Proverbs being written to a young man or young men who were likely going to be in the court of some king. And a lot of the instruction to these young men is this is how you're supposed to conduct yourself in the presence of the king on behalf of others. You're supposed to construct yourself this way. Conduct yourself this way. Don't offer bribes. Don't do it. It perverts justice. Don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism, especially to the rich, and neglect the poor. That is the height of injustice. Don't do it. Treat everyone the same. Rich, don't oppress the poor. As a matter of fact, one proverb says, if you oppress the poor... God's going to get you. You're on the wrong side because God defends the poor and the needy. Be careful. I don't know if you've ever experienced a society where justice or civil order is almost non-existent. Um, I had, I guess you would call it the privilege of being in one of those places one time. It was shortly after one of the horrible civil wars in Liberia that I was visiting some of our missionaries. Landed in Monrovia, which is the capital city of Liberia down near the coast. When we landed, we went to another location where some friends were. And as uh, we waited, we had a few difficulties with the car. And they worked on that, and while we waited, Night began to fall, and as night fell, it was obvious there was no electricity. It wasn't just in that house. It was the entire country. Nobody had power at that time. Eventually, we got in our car and started north in pitch black. Imagine no street lights, no lights with real in houses that were electrical lights and just your headlights on a road that had lots of holes in it and it just looked scary. As we started north to try to get to our destination, it seemed like to me that about every 15 minutes we would be stopped. Pitch black, there would be someone carrying an automatic weapon slung over his shoulder and there would be a gate across the road. You stopped at the gate. You were pulled out of the car. You were taken into a little shack. And inside that little shack, my driver negotiated 
the price to pass. I didn't understand the language, but the argument was fierce every single time. Before it was all over, my driver would pull out a certain amount of cash and hand it to the man with the gun, and off we'd go. 15, 20 minutes later, it would happen again. The description I'm giving you is this. There was absolutely no civil order. Everybody was watching out for themselves. As a matter of fact, a pastor who was in the car with me said, at one point, he knew I was a bit disturbed, and he said, you have to understand this. Those people are working for the government. It's the latest government. And they're not getting paid. This is the only way they make their livelihood. It was pure chaos in the country. Thankfully, things are better now. But it was awful. That kind of unsettledness in a civilization makes everybody terrified except for the people who've got the guns and got the power. And then when justice comes to town, the people who were formerly powerful and wielded the guns are now in a position of being terrorized. Terrorized by what? Just simply justice. The proverb says justice ought to be a part of every society because it's the fabric of civil order. Amos is a famous minor prophet who has a phrase that says, and we read it earlier, let justice flow down like a river, like an ever-flowing stream. Amos is contrasting that to a wadi, which is a river that's dry sometimes, and then when in the rainy season, it rushes with water. Amos is saying, when it comes to justice, I don't want a wadi. I don't want all of a sudden water to be rushing downstream. What I want from you people, I want justice to be an ever-flowing river constantly because that's part of the civil order that God calls you to. So allow justice to be there. He was crying out against especially wealthy and powerful people who were not being just. He also uh, has been picked up by multiple authors, right? That famous phrase, let justice flow down like an ever-flowing stream, like a river. Does anybody come to mind? Martin Luther King. During the dark days of the Civil Rights Movement, when African-American people were being hosed down and attacked by German Shepherd dogs, Martin Luther quoted this verse. I want, I want justice. I just want it to flow like a river. I just want it to be normal. Please, God, give us justice. I don't know how many of you know much about the writings of Martin Luther King, but if you don't, I challenge you to go back and read them. They are full, chock full of Scripture. He was so thoroughly immersed in the Scriptures that when it came to the issue of justice, he cried out from the Scriptures. 
So the Proverbs reinforce civil justice. They say it's absolutely a necessity. That's why you need to follow it. Second, the Proverbs speak about impartial justice. Impartial justice is not showing favoritism. Impartial justice is justice that is not twisted in a direction that is selfish for you or on behalf of your crony. Impartial justice ideally is the kind of justice that can be applied at every level in every situation, no matter what. So what's an example of impartial justice in the Proverbs? It's rather interesting. You know what one of the references to impartial justice in the Proverbs is? The casting of lots or the drawing of straws. A short stick, a long stick. You're thinking to yourself, really? That's as deep as he goes? We cast lots and decide who's, who's what? You know what it is? It's something else. There's something behind this notion of casting lots. The thing that's behind this notion of casting lots is that you can't decide it. You can't interfere with justice. And they believed thoroughly to the core of their souls. They believed that whenever the lot was cast, God was in charge of it all. And it would turn in the direction of justice. Now, you might be skeptical of that, right? But let me remind you, it was used all throughout the Scripture. Jonah got thrown out of a boat because he got the short straw. Or how about that guy called Matthias? Anybody remember Matthias? He was a disciple that was chosen to replace Judas and make it 12 again. You know how they decided? By the casting of the lots. It's an interesting and intriguing way to approach justice. There was also a tradition in the Old Testament called the Irma and Thuban, which were like on the breastplate, the priests, certain kinds of stones, and they were used, as some people say, to discern guidance from God, whether or not to go to battle, any number of other things. And again, you might say, it just seems kind of odd to me. Maybe it seems odd, but you can see the point. It's impartial justice. I don't get to decide. You might say luck decides. Or if you're in the Old Testament, you say God decides. If you think to yourself, that's just really weird. Why would we ever use that system? Just hearken back to your childhood for a minute, okay? When you were in a dispute with somebody, friend, sibling, before it was all over, somebody would say something like, let's just flip a coin and get over this, right? You'd flip the coin, you'd let the coin decide. Why? Because the coin had no particular perspective. Why? Because gravity itself was not prejudiced. You just abide by the coin. Or you may think to yourself, well, that's just child's play. Well, actually, it'll probably happen this Sunday at a football game. Flip the coin. People who are huge and trying to tear each other up will submit to the coin. So hear this verse. Casting lots settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. Another translation says... Flipping a coin can end arguments. 
and settle disputes between powerful opponents. Obviously, the point is, there's no, impar- there's no partiality in the flipping of the coin. Did you ever notice how the referee always covers up the coin before he flips it, right? No guessing, absolute mystery, and you submit to the coin. Here's another interesting thing about impartial justice. In order for impartial justice to truly be present in our society and in your life, you actually have to turn justice over to God. You're called to be responsible. You're called to make judgment calls, but the ultimate outcome, it's God's. Paul is famous for quoting a passage from Deuteronomy. Paul's quote is in Romans 12, 19. The passage is Deuteronomy 32, 35. It says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Leave room for God's wrath. Don't get in the way and muck it up with your own personal vengeance. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it up to God. You know, there's several things that are necessary for us to implement that in our life. Um, One thing that's necessary is we just have to begin by admitting we don't fully understand. That's hard for us to admit, isn't it? If you're going to turn vengeance over to God, you have to say, God, I don't don't totally get it. It's up to you. You also have to be willing to say, I can't see the heart. I can judge certain things, but I can't know the heart. God, you can. And it's also an acknowledgement that we can't handle righteous indignation. You can't handle it. That's why we routinely say in our society, nobody is above the law. Because you're not supposed to be able to manipulate the law for your own personal benefit. And it's quite possible that you could be vengeful and manipulate because of your self-centeredness. I have a story that I'm not going to tell about a time where I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed by an urge to be vengeful. Somebody had hurt my family. And I mean in the worst possible way. And I wanted like nothing else to reach out with my own bare hands and solve the problem through vengeance. God says, leave it alone, Bob. Follow the path of justice. Turn vengeance over to me.
The third category I want to mention is one that you might not think is in the Proverbs, and maybe it's not, at least it's not called this. It's what I'm calling drunken justice. <laughs> what do I mean by that? I think that in our, our world, we're just like drunk with justice. We are a very litigious society. We're ready to go to court at the drop of a hat. We're ready to settle a dispute by arguing until we win. The list goes on and on. Have you ever seen any of those court TV things, right, whether it's Judge Judy or whoever else? It, it's, I can only watch them for about five minutes, but it is intriguing. It's, it's a window into society. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of two bratty kids yelling at each other and one bratty judge yelling at both of them. It, it really doesn't seem to be very well-ordered, but I don't know enough about it. All I know is this. People love to go to court. They love to prove themselves right. They routinely want to settle so they can get a big settlement. If you insult me, I'm going to insult you by going publicly. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you ten times harder. If you, the list goes on, right? In the Proverbs Tell us, be careful about that. Matter of fact, um, one of the Proverbs that you might not think is really connected to that is, it, it's this. Several weeks ago, I mentioned a proverb that said there's six things that God hates and despises. And among those things, was the last one, is a false witness and a person who stirs up conflict. A person who stirs up conflict. You know how you stir up conflict? One of the ways you stir up conflict is when you're wrong, you won't let it go. When you're wrong, you're going to find your day in court. You're going to prove yourself to be right, and you're going to get some kind of payback for the wrong against you. Proverbs 18, 17 puts it this way, don't go hastily to court. What will you do when your neighbor, neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor. Don't disclose the secret to everyone. In other words, don't put the offense out there for all the public to see. Stop it already. Talk to your neighbor. Because otherwise, if you don't, in the process of your dispute, you may be shamed and your reputation might be ruined. How many times could we use that advice? Whether it's really about court or just a dispute. The Apostle Paul, again, in Corinthians, when he was addressing that church, he said, you guys are actually going to go to court? You can't settle this thing on your own? You're not mature enough to sit down and work through it? Shame on you. Don't be so eager. I don't mean to pull the plug on all the lawyers in the crowd that make money off of court. But I do have to admit, I just kind of recoil it off the big things on the sides of buses. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you, you know what the problem with winning an argument is? You most always lose a friend. Hear this proverb in the same chapter in verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win 
than a strong city. Once you've offended your brother, says the proverb, it's like contention brings down bars or gates on a relationship that are stronger than bars and gates on a city. Do you want to do that, says the proverb? I don't think you do. So guard your impulses to seek justice. I've got three points of departure for you. I mean, I want you to depart with them. Three points of conclusion, and the first is this. Promote justice where you live. Where is it? Your workplace? Your home? The classroom? My wife's a principal, but she didn't tell me to say this. A classroom that is out of control because a teacher will not implement certain principles of justice is the ruin of every kid in the class. I know I was a high school teacher one time. And the best way to teach was when everybody was under control. I'll never forget one time. I wasn't even going to tell the story, but I'm going to now. I, I was teaching, and uh, I had this approach in uh, high school teaching that I would start out really tough. I mean, just an absolute tyrant about everything. And then once they settled down, I would kind of back off a little bit more and back off a little bit more and back off a little bit more. And there's these uh, tough guys. They were on the football team, and, you know, they like to make a lot of ruckus. And they came in and sat at the back of the class, first class, you know, arms folded, feet kicked back. And I just looked up and I said, you three, front seat. Nobody else has got assigned seats, but you do. Come down here now. And they were like, boom, 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 they walked down there. And at least for me, um, those of you who know me well, or if you want to know me well, ask my wife. I'm a real smart aleck. And so my form of discipline was when they smarted off to make them feel foolish with a comeback and tell them to be quiet, and they would. It probably wasn't proper teaching methods or whatever, but it was working. Um, So after about the second or third week, there was these other guys who transferred into my class for whatever reason. I don't know why. They transferred into my class, and they too were the toughs. And as they came in and sat near the back, two of the guys at the very beginning of the semester who had gone through my routine walked up to me and said, hey, Mr. Whitaker, be really tough on them, like you were on us at the beginning. I said, you got it, man, not a problem. (laughs) And, And I did. And we had a great class. I mean, I wasn't mean. Really, I wasn't. I just expected order in my class. And whenever I had it, we all learned better. And even the toughs, they liked it because everybody likes order. So, where's your classroom tomorrow and the next day? When in the last week or the last month can you remember 
just turning a blind eye to an injustice. Just not saying anything. Just letting it go. The proverb would say, no, don't do that. In humility, address it. Because it will restore order. So, the first point is to do that. Address injustice. But I want to tell you something. You know, sometimes when you address injustice, it doesn't go well for you, right? You get caught in the crosshairs or something and people don't like you. But you got to do it anyway. I, I looked for a cartoon from Charlie Brown, but I couldn't find it, so I could put it up on the screen for you. So I got to tell you what happened in the cartoon. So you knew Charlie Brown and Lucy. Lucy was always after Charlie Brown, giving him a hard time. Sometimes they were friends. Other times they were enemies. And on one particular occasion, in a cartoon strip, you see Charlie Brown running, and Lucy is behind him. She's screaming at him. Charlie Brown, I'm going to get you. And when I get you, I am going to knock your block off. And Charlie Brown's eyes are wide, and he's just running for all he's worth. And all of a sudden, it dawns on him that there's another way. And he just stops, and he turns around. And Lucy's right in his face. And he looks at Lucy, and he says this, Lucy, you are and I are relatively small children with relatively small problems. And if we can't sit down and talk through our problems with love, respect, and understanding, how can we expect the great nations of the world to sit down and talk through things? <laughs> in the last frame of the cartoon, as Lucy just goes, boom, and hits him in the nose. <laughs> and then underneath it, <laughs> she says, I had to hit him. He was starting to make too much sense. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> You know, if you call for justice, sometimes you're going to get hit in the nose, but you need to do it, okay? It's, it's, it's the right thing to do because our world needs it. So that was only the first piece of advice, uh, conclusion, is promote justice where you are. The second is remember the ultimate justice comes from God. Don't pretend like vengeance is something that's righteous. I referred to movies at the beginning and how frequently you have romance and justice. You know what you also have a lot of? Vengeance. Hideous vengeance. God says, no, don't do that. Let the vengeance be mine. The final thing is, um, as a practical matter, just settle disputes. Settle it. Instead of trying to win the argument and be right. So, I'm going to turn this way for obvious reasons to say this. How many times have you looked into the eyes of your wife or your children after you have launched a beautiful argument and seen nothing but hurt and maybe tears? Was it worth it? 
to win the argument? I think all of you know that feeling. No, it wasn't. It wasn't worth it at all. So as you walk into this week, think about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with your God. Micah 6.8. Let's pray. Lord, you uh, overwhelm us with um, the beauty of your word and instructions. And we're instructed as people who follow you to follow you in justice. Uh, we pray that you will help us to live that way. We also pray that you will help us to live in such a way that implements justice without moving into vengeance. And then we pray you will also allow us to do justice in a way that also loves mercy and walks humbly with you. Because more often than not, when we feel the courage to do what is right, it can become all about us. We can want to punish an offender in a way that really is unjust. Or we want to win the argument and we destroy a friendship or a member of our family. So give us, Lord, the wisdom to know what justice is, to follow it, but to love mercy because we need so much of it ourselves and to walk humbly with you, our God. In your name we pray. Amen.